Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogonia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, April 29th, 2017. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. This evening we have Pastor Mark Downey here with us once again, and this is our follow-up to a program that we had done on March 11th, a presentation we had made here, which... I entitled Imprecating the Media. It was intended to introduce a 40-day period of fasting and prayer, for which Mark had a related sermon posted at kinsmanredeemer.com titled Christian Identity Imprecation Against Fake News. The imprecatory prayer campaign was begun on March 23rd, and it expires on May 1st. It seemed to me, to me this past winter to begin making posts at the Christagenia Forum illustrating fake news, and we have several items and articles on that topic at the main Christagenia website as well. Since Donald Trump was elected, the term fake news has been brought before the public consciousness to a greater degree than ever before. We also noted at an early time that many other commentators from the alt-right, the old right, or even from certain sects of Christian identity were also trying to take advantage of the revelations that the news could be fake were being brought to the public consciousness. Of course, many of us have known that the news has been faked for many years. We can remember the Maine, remember the Lusitania, the USS Liberty, the Gulf of Tonkin, 9-11, all of the babies which were supposedly bayoneted by the Huns, by the Nazis. When I say the Huns, that's the slander that the British had struck the German people with during the First World War. Then the Nazis were supposedly bayoneting babies. And most recently, even the Iraqis to spark or to make a pretense for the first Gulf War. Fake news has been used for the promotion of certain political agendas ever since the first Jew bought a printing press. Now there are the fake atrocities being blamed on the Syrians to justify the recent bombings. Fake news comes in many flavors and colorful packages, but it is much more dangerous than most of the poisonous artificial sweeteners found in those colorfully packaged fake foods lining the supermarket shelves. The most common variety are the false versions of historical events which are constantly promoted in the Jewish mainstream media and entertainment networks. Then there are all the so-called news reports in mainstream news which either turn out to be absolutely fake or which may as well be fake because of the politically correct nature in which they are reported, especially when it comes to crime. But to those of our own cause, and this must be said because there is another side of the coin, to those of our own cause, there is a form of fake news that leaves many of us looking stupid and which we must learn to avoid. This form comes from hundreds of so-called news websites which have patriotic or conservative-sounding names and which publish one fake story after another, 
telling right-wingers or alt-righters things that they like to hear. Recently, a group of such sites ran a story about the death of a non-existent Clinton campaign employee. Hundreds of comments on dozens of websites were made by people who self-righteously declared that the Clintons were at it again. This helps to marginalize their real crimes. But the supposed murder victim never even existed. This sort of fake news website helps our enemies in two ways. It makes us look stupid when we link their fake articles. And it makes the mainstream media outlets look legitimate because they do not carry anything so obviously fake. So these fake news websites even discredit the fact that mainstream media outlets often do publish fake news. We created a list of obviously fake news sites and we hope to expand it in the future. But while we are always going to have to deal with clowns and charlatans, a more nefarious agenda has come out of the new awareness of fake news. Since the last U.S. presidential election, Google, Facebook, and other major traffic conduits on the Internet have vowed to combat fake news. For example, an article in The Telegraph last November reported that Google and Facebook take aim at fake news sites. Subsequent press releases from Google announced that they were increasing the number of quality evaluators on their payroll to filter traffic from websites that do not meet their standards for truth. Bloomberg Technology, recent, another fake news outlet, Bloomberg Technology recently reported just the other day, April 25th, that Google will not only be filtering fake news sites out of search results, but also sites which it deems to be offensive. And if you read Google's posted policy page, Christianity certainly would be considered offensive. That means that it is these Jewish-controlled organizations which will endeavor to decide which news is fake for the people rather than merely raising an awareness among the people. So it may be that in the that the mainstream media, in the end, which has forever published fake news, will once again be the only news, if they have it their way. So the battle in front of us is as difficult as ever, and we must confront fake news to different extremes. Now, even the leftist universities are getting in on the fake news game. The following couple of paragraphs is from the Harvard University Press blog from an article titled Rights, Action, and Social Responsibility. And the blog says that earlier this month, De Gruyter, a major academic publisher in Europe, and a number of its partner presses, of which we are one, launched a portal to provide educational institutions with free access to a collection of books and articles across the sciences, social sciences, and humanities, dubbed Rights, Action, and Social Responsibility. The initiative is intended to help combat false news sources, to support reflection on the nature of truth and ethics, and to encourage understanding of the struggles facing all members of society. As if 
Harvard and DeGroyter have a franchise on truth and ethics, they continue to say, public debates surrounding immigration policy, climate change, international relations, and constitutional and human rights are currently at the forefront of the national discourse, especially but not only in the United States. Together, DeGroyter and its partners are keen to support a thoughtful and informed debate on these sensitive and serious issues, said Steve Fallon, director of DeGroyter's publishing partner program. The collection groups resources into eight topical areas, constitutional history, dissent, truth and ethics, environmental studies, the tree huggers, gender studies, the LGBT crowd, geopolitics, the one world crowd, human rights, the social justice warriors, immigration and urbanism, the open borders crowd, and Islamic studies. They're the most nefarious of the bunch. The content includes more than 500 books and selected journal articles from various academic sources and a handful of universities, but we will not read the list here. We looked at one of the articles being promoted by Harvard in this regard. It was written by a Jew named Nathaniel Frank, who wrote a book called Awakening, How Gays and Lesbians Brought Marriage Equality to America. And the article details a conversation Frank had with Vice about the fight for marriage equality and the ever-changing nature of marriage as an institution. So we see that now the social justice warriors, the liberal Marxist social justice warriors, like those at Harvard University, are intending on using the battle against fake news as a battle against Christianity. That should be pretty clear. The handwriting is on the blog. There you have it. Google, Facebook, and their fellow sodomites are trying to take over the battle against fake news for their own agenda. And the news is only bound to get faker than ever. To discuss our campaign of prayer, imprecating fake news, and what we can do to elevate awareness of really fake news amongst our people, here is Pastor Mark Downey. Greetings, Mark. Thank you, Bill, and greetings. Tonight, I think we're going to have a great show because um, we're going to have three uh, guests call in, and uh, they're Pastor Everett Ramsey, uh, Pastor Don Elmore, and our friend Gary Plazo, which really initiated this thing in my mind. You know, your synopsis of fake news, Bill, is certainly proving to be uh, an escalation just as this last week, uh, Ann Coulter was denied her free speech at uh, UC Berkeley. David Irving uh, books are being pulled from Amazon because of the revisionist content. And Ernst Zundel is being deported from the USA. Tonight, Christian identity prayer warriors are fighting back. And we're going to report on the last 40 days of our imprecatory campaign. I'd like to thank uh, Ben88, a member of our forum at Crestagenia, 
for scripture reading tonight, I usually compose a prayer before the program, but I thought Ben's contribution would be more appropriate as a type of invocation. Quote, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies. And the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall be decimal. And your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through. Then you shall be trodden down by it. And the time that it goeth forth it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over you, by day and by night. And it shall be a vexation only to understand the report for the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it and the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it for the Lord shall rise up as in a Mount Perizim he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gabion that he may do his work his strange work and bring to pass his act his strange act now therefore be ye not mockers lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a a consumption, even determined upon the whole earth. Give ye ear, and hear my voice. Hearken, and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground, when he hath made plain the face thereof? Doth he not cast abroad the caraway, and scatter the cumin, and cast in the principal wheat, and the appointed barley, and the rye in their place? End quote. I might add, we humbly ask for the only white power on earth to remove the mystery of Babylon, so that all may see her naked wickedness. May we see that day whereby the glory of the light of the world destroys the scourge of our well-being, and the darkness is as if it never were. Thank you for hearing us this evening, Lord, and bless our message and conversations, that it may bless all the families of Israel. In the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Praise Yahweh, and amen. Well, it occurred to me, Bill, um, before the uh, launch on March 23rd that God's law of warfare tells us to warn the wicked. And so that's what I did. I sent dozens of lawful notices to the mainstream media according to Ezekiel 3, 17 through 19, which tells us to warn the wicked, lest their blood be upon us. This is what it said. Attention, mainstream media. The recipients of this declaration are now being given lawful notice to cease and desist from intentionally bearing false witness, slander, and deviant journalism. Your agenda is increasingly becoming self-evident. 
that you hate America, hate the white race, and hate Christianity. You don't have much time to repent. That is, a change your evil ways and start reporting the truth. Many of you in the mainstream media are atheists and don't believe the God of the Bible and punish evildoers. You would be wrong. And whether you report it or not, God's wrath is coming to your doorsteps. The curses will begin March 23, 2017. You have been warned according to Ezekiel 3:17 through 19. The time for interviews and programs are over. For years, the mainstream media has had every opportunity to report the truth about Christian identity and has only participated willingly in a smear campaign to ruin lives. Now it is our turn to campaign against you in defense of our posterity. I will only consider sincere communications by way of email. Hard copies are also being sent so you cannot plead ignorance. May God have mercy on your wicked souls. Well, um, I only got one letter returned to me, and that was from the Washington Post. And uh, I got absolutely zero calls or responses. <laughs> well, well, that's the way it is. I mean, we, we, we give it our best effort, and most people are just uncaring they're, they're they're oblivious they're they're uncaring they're, they're comfortable and they don't want to get involved well i did my duty and uh i think it's um now important to give a maybe a brief synopsis of the intent and purposes of our campaign uh, imprecatory prayer is a last resort appeal to god for justice the so-called curses are simply the just penalty called for in scriptures for an alleged crime. Imprecatory prayer is an appeal to the court of divine justice for protection and the appropriate punishment for the criminals. Imprecatory prayer is most often used when the criminals are the rich and powerful or corrupt men in government. The prayer asks God to solve the problem and bring the criminal to repentance or to judgment. This campaign is to show our heart and soul in God's court. We are prosecutors asking for God's judgment towards his enemies and mercy to his children. Now, it just so happens, I, I had no idea what to expect uh, when we launched this program, but... Some people just didn't get it. I, I got an email reinterpreting the aforementioned to say I want an end to the divisions in, in Christian identity and include people that have no right to call themselves Christian identity because they engaged in overt deeds of universalism and unchristian behavior. You, you covered that uh, last night in your program. When I said differences, I didn't mean doctrinal differences. I meant doctrinal differences, not behavioral differences that are unbecoming a Christian. If the parties involved in these squabbles wish to bury the hatchet on their own accord, they're free to do so. But this kind of issue should not interfere with or be a distraction to our primary mission, which is very important. 
a Christian identity imprecation against fake news. In that detailed message, I clearly stated, quote, there are some pretenders who have a record of sabotaging our community and will not be contacted, end quote. Something as serious as imprecatory will no doubt be met with opposition from the enemy within and without. Anything that tries to misdirect the premise of our project is counterproductive and, for me, raises red flags. I received another email suggesting that I needed to add all the corrupt politicians, public servants, and apostate ministers to the targets of the prayer. (laughs) Again, I must emphasize the focus of our campaign is against the fake news of the mainstream media and their duplicity in what has been referred to as Pizzagate. Some are now calling it Pedagate. Well, I do not wish to dilute the imprecatory with an endless list of culprits. I'm sure the fallout from our campaign will affect those in church and state and have had a history of being bound to the lies of what we consider the source of Israel's trouble for so long. Why suggest adding other things other than the mainstream media? Why? Because they think it's a good idea, even though it's in conflict with a very focused and clear target. If you have a bow and arrow and you get one shot a day to hit the bullseye, but there's a dozen targets downrange, which one are you going to aim at? The subtlety of diffusion is holding more than one idea or a single reality. Some people call it cognitive dissonance. I was, I was somewhat distraught that this person's newsletter completely destroyed the objective of our campaign to whoever receives his newsletter and eliminated the mainstream media and the crisis of pedophilia. He even got the dates wrong. I don't know whether to call it sabotage or stupidity. This is one of his additions. He had a list of ten different things. He said, we pray for Donald Trump. Yes, Jesus, we are aware of his many imperfections. We ourselves have many spiritual imperfections. But we also see a man that is called of God for this hour of our nation. May President Trump fulfill a role of Cyrus and even Samson from the scriptures against the Antichrist, end quote. Well, recently I I read about Trump's genealogy. I no longer believe Trump is white, but a Jewish tear. Another armchair critic, who I've called the dirty preacher because of his chronic and habitual lying and slander said, quote, the Bible clearly says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16 But I read nowhere that many Israelites praying at the same time will get them answered any faster. Can somebody point this out to me? How about two or three of you agreeing in my name? The New Testament. How about two or three of you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to interrupt you. I'm sorry. How about two or three of you agreeing in my name? It's that simple. Yes. (laughs) And I I give some 
scriptures in a moment here. Doesn't it seem like these idiots, and he's calling anybody involved with our campaign idiots with their day of imprecatory prayer, don't believe in Christ's teachings on prayer to begin with? They need help from others? Having a thousand people pray is equal to one prayer from a saint. What an utter waste of time, end quote. But really? Let's point out to this pathetic fool what the word really says. In Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In Acts 1.14, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church, Acts 12:15. I have to ask, is the church or the ecclesia just one person? Duh. 2 Corinthians 1:11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Isaiah 56, 7. You also, excuse me, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Excuse me, that was Joel 1.14. In other words, the corporate prayer, these, plural, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them, them, plural, joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, and for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, all white people. That's Isaiah 56, 7. When we pray... When we pray, we should pray in private, and and Christ suggests that, so that we are not putting on an exhibition and and trying to um, virtue signal, trying to virtual virtue signal to others how holy we are. But that is a totally different um, phenomenon from group prayer in a common cause. But which is also certainly legitimate, as you have just pointed out. Group prayer for a common cause is absolutely Christian. When we pray for ourselves or, or, or for anybody else, for, for anything alone, we shouldn't pray before men because we shouldn't spend our time signaling our virtue. It, it's a way of puffing oneself up that Christ is warning against when he says, go to your room and pray. It's a huge difference from praying together in a common cause as a group, which both sorts of prayer are absolutely scriptural, as you pointed out. So that person is a fool. You know, you sent all these letters to these mainstream media outlets 
uh, about fake news, and they don't care because they have their own agendas. That they don't care about you and your agenda. That they might think you're a lunatic, or it just falls on deaf ears for one way or for one reason or another. It, it's right. the same with these Christian identity ministries that want to take your idea and and change it. I, I mean, they have an uh, and that they have an option to participate or not to participate. But why would they try to um, corrupt or, or change what your endeavor is? If they're going to join with you, that then that's noble. If they're just going to corrupt what you want to do and change it, then what's the point? That It's like the judges period where every man did right in his own eyes. Rather than lifting a brother up, you're trying to step over him and step on his head. It is what that what one particular individual did by changing your whole um, purpose into praying for politicians. Politicians, most of them can't be prayed for. You, you can't pray for a Donald Trump or an Obama. That, that these are wicked men. We should pray that Yahweh judges them. We should pray that God judges them. That's what we should pray for. Right. I think you, in your program last night, um, you know there are fake Christian identity ministries, and they do nothing but throw a, a monkey wrench into scriptures. So this should be no surprise to anybody. They, they exist uh, to discredit other Christian identity ministries. That's their sole purpose of existence. Exactly, and uh, you know any Christian worth their salt should know that the Bible addresses both individual people that pray. And corporate prayer, it, it covers both. But you know, the real clincher, the last uh, uh, verse I have here is from Acts 12.12, 12, and it couldn't be much clearer, which says, where many are gathered together praying. <laughs> I don't think it gets much clearer than that. And you know, nothing could be more arrogant and selfish than to relegate prayer to the exclusive practice of just one person independent of the ecclesia or the called out ones. How utterly absurd and anti-Christian. There are those who scatter and there are those who gather. But we know who they are and what they are. And they they deserve the imprecatory prayer just as much as those who curse us in the Jews media. To reveal the truth about fake news covering up the satanic pedophile rings, not only in uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., but, but globally. Now, I initially designed this as an American campaign, but it wasn't set in concrete, but soon found out that our Christian identity friends in Australia, South Africa, England, Canada, we're more than eager to join forces with us, and I'll be relating some of the things that happened in their countries, which can be seen as answer to our prayers. Um, one of the, the main things uh, when we're pleading our case in the Divine Court of Justice uh, to curse those who curse us from Genesis 12.3, is we can show how the enemy of Christ and Christians have violated the divine law. 
those who throw monkey wrenches into scripture is one example. Uh, the consequences of which curse God's people, the white race, us. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 was an unconditional promise to curse those who curse us. That is the power of our prayers and letting God be true. I'd like to show that imprecatory prayer is a viable Christian practice whereby the power of God is demonstrated. You know, churchianity does not instruct its members to curse a false accuser or abhor evil or, God forbid, hate those who hate the God of Israel. When Moses faced an impossible judgment of the law, he turned to God to render a verdict. We don't have the wherewithal to reconcile all the adversity that's thrown at us. It's our destiny to turn to God for help. Right. The ancient Israelites, when they practiced their dependency upon God, would get miraculous results. The, the stories are too numerous to tell, but the reason was to show them and their enemies that our God was all-powerful, omnipotent, and could wipe out an entire city of sodomites if he wanted to, and he did. We practice imprecatory in order to glorify God, not us. Glory means to repute, to send a clear message to the world that there is no other reputation of any other deity that should be feared more than the God of Israel. And not doing due diligence to our God-given duties, people are no longer God-fearing or have reverence and respect for God. Therefore, Christian identity is compelled to renew our duties if we want to overcome the world of Antichrist and bastards. An imprecatory prayer should include the it, the the concept includes the idea that something it is too big for you to tackle and it only God can can fix the situation justice righteousness can only come from God you're asking him to do it the psalms are, are there are dozens and dozens of imprecatory prayers in in the psalms david looking to god for justice because he was just one man that couldn't do it well, you know, we are fighting wickedness in high places that is that is so wicked, Bill, that people just cannot imagine. They can't grasp the reality um, that our government wouldn't do that. Uh, but what do people think communism is? It was to take over the world. And... Uh, and you're going to be talking about this uh, UN resolution to control fake news in a little bit, uh, which is totally Orwellian. It's straight out of 1984 or something we hear about in North Korea. It's total slavery. And, you know, it reminds me of Revelation 18, 11 through, 8, 12, uh, 11 through 13. Quote, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls 
and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. The very last thing is our racial identity, even below slavery. Well, I have a very interesting testimonial. I have a prison ministry that I've had for about 10 years, more than that. And uh, I got a, a letter from one of these members of a, a Texas prison group who got unexpected results. They, they jumped on the bandwagon as soon as I sent out um, my sermon on imprecation. Uh, I'm not going to name uh, where this prison is or names for their own security purposes because uh, we have a very mean prison system today that um, uh, lives for retribution and punishment. Dear Pastor Downey, greetings from our fellowship. The Spirit is manifesting itself here more and more than as ever with the imprecatory prayer continues. It is duly sorrowful and strengthening. Seeing the vengeance and perfect justice of God is so much bigger than anything I have ever witnessed. It is truly humbling. As you know, we have established through the will of our Father a Christian Identity Fellowship here in a very bureaucratic and institutionalized setting where getting the simplest of things accomplished is sometimes near impossible. Our congregation has thrived. Doors are continually being opened and blind eyes are seen. Once ignorant men are becoming educated as to who they are and what their inheritance is. Men who once, only weeks or months ago, had no clue are realizing that they are chosen, loved, and redeemed. It's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. The sorrowful aspect comes from witnessing firsthand the divine judgment and justice of our Heavenly Father. Allow me to explain. Our congregation was recently donated a beautiful book cabinet, and the ridiculous red tape shenanigans that our facilitator, and I won't name his name, was he's kind of the leader of the group, was put through by the unit chaplain. was nothing short of a runaround. First, it was debate about the cost. Who would pay for it? Then it was draw a blueprint and make a material list. Then it was you have to make both all meet, meaning unit unit chaplain, administration, and maintenance. Now, bear in mind that our facilitator is an inmate, and the demands being put on him far exceeded his offender capabilities, or so the chaplain thought. The facilitator accomplished all of the above. How? Only God knows, but the chaplain wasn't through. There was more paperwork that needed to be filed, namely inter-office communications, IOCs, which, of course, the chaplain uh, expected him to accomplish. How? Who knows? 
So the runaround was wearing thin about this time. So he decided to look into a prefabricated cabinet. Maybe this would cut through some of the red tape. Now understand during this time, months have passed while nothing is being achieved. Now, as I have said, he thinks that an already assembled cabinet will be the best route. He contacts his family and begins researching the necessary areas and finds several that meet our congregation's needs. He begins a new process of shenanigans and ends up settling on an acceptable model, a 72 by 36 black steel cabinet with locking doors to ensure the security of our library. He then proceeds to discuss new methods of receiving the cabinet for our fellowship with the chaplain. Needless to say, the runaround never ends. He was instructed to write a letter describe, describing why an alternative cabinet was needed instead of the original, which was never agreed upon. All this he did and more. He attached letters of correspondence from the supporters who agreed to assist in this endeavor, along with a photo with dimensions, price, distributor, purchaser, estimated time of delivery, etc., all of this was placed in our congregation's mailbox to be turned into the administration for approval. Days turned into weeks and weeks near months. And what remains of our congregation's mailbox but the exact papers that were to be sent to the front office? He addresses this twice that I know of, and the explanation that he received was out of sight, out of mind. I guess our mailbox is placed in the blind peripheral of the chaplain's office. Finally, he gets the point. The chaplain is not a man of God, but an enemy, or at the very least, very inept. He then decides to proceed in the spirit of Genesis 1.26 and expresses dominion and faith in God by ordering the cabinet, regardless of the paperwork, red tape, or ineptness. By this time... We have begun the imprecatory prayer, and we know that the divine will of God will be done, and anyone that stands in the way of his children will have to fall or retreat. Our fellowship is standing firm in the unity of all our brothers and sisters. All the voices, spirits, and cries are being heard by the divine court of justice. And I am here to tell you that at church this morning, we were told that our cabinet is up front waiting to be delivered to our congregation. And the chaplain has succumbed to a brain tumor and will be in need of surgery. This is where the sorrow comes in. It is beyond sad to witness a supposed man of God work so hard against the only body of Israel on the unit, yet work tirelessly with a mongrel-filled open call service. <laughs> the Negro-filled Muslim service, and the homosexual Wiccans. It is literally beyond belief. And his survival depends on his testimony before God the Father and his willingness to repent of this enemy behavior. That, however, is between the chaplain and the Most High. With this, I'll close. But before I do, I want to let you know that we know the imprecation prayer was mainly directed at the Jew media. We know that there are many children being abused, and the word is mum. That is not the case with us here. Our voice is lifted up with yours, 
And we are fasting in eagerness because we know that our Father loves us and hears his children. We fast in the assurance of our mediator and redeemer, Christ. I was uh, quite impressed, to say the least, uh, with uh, his story. Well, yes, I, I, I must agree. That the um, I, I wanted to give a rundown, and, and I didn't think we would run quite this late. Maybe we could be a few minutes later with calls on, on just some of these major pedophile cases that, that um, have broken local news recently, but I haven't seen too many of them in national news. And, and in, in February, the Los Angeles Reti- Times had reported that 474 people were arrested in, in a pedophile ring, and there were dozens of children and young adult women who were rescued that were victims of this 474-person pedophile ring. And, and at least 70% of those children came from foster care system. In Atlanta, last October, there were 70 people, mostly Negroes, arrested for sex trafficking, underage victims. 82 victims. In November, the massive pedophile ring in the Netherlands, and 230 people were arrested. In the meantime, Miley Cyrus is doing concerts on stage dressed in diapers and using baby bottles. And, and other nursery items as sex props. And, and sexualizing infancy. That this is really sick. It, it's that this um that this pedophile activity. I, I think that some of it is allowed to come to the surface so that the government can look like they're doing something about pedophiles. But I found a website, and and I'm going to look into this in the near future in in depth, called politicalvelcraft.org, which has reported attempts to overturn the Alan Dershowitz and and Jeffrey Epstein sweetheart deal with federal prosecutors. And this website has identified Epstein as a Mossad operative and and named a lot of top-level Jewish officials as well as Americans and British. We only hear about Prince Andrew and, and Clinton, but Netanyahu and Ehud Barak were on the list. But the Epstein thing is a lot deeper than, than the media has ever told us. And, and if Pizzagate is true, it, it still seems like small change to what is compared to what's going on in the big picture. I, I just wanted to get some of that in. I wrote an article entitled, um, titled Lambs to the Slaughter in March of 2012, which discussed organized pedophile rings in the government. But that this is still going on, and, and it seems to be getting worse and worse. Last year, three Australian former um, cabinet ministers were arrested for, for being part of a pedophile ring. It, it seems to never end. <laughs> 800,000 missing kids a year, and, and, and we wonder where they went. We should check all the synagogues. And there, there was certainly a gigantic scandal in Britain. Members of Parliament and a well-known uh, uh, TV personality, Jimmy Savelle, who are friends with the royal family, uh, raped hundreds of children because he was a celebrity and could get away with it. I think you're absolutely right, Bill, that the uh, mainstream media totally ignores all this stuff, but sometimes you will hear about it from local local, uh, news sources. And when we get to the results, judgments, and answers to our prayers, uh, something happened in uh, my own backyard here in Kentucky 
which we'll get to later. I think uh, you could probably call uh, Pastor Ramsey now if you want. Okay. I, I mean, we could put off some of this other stuff till later, possibly. Or I could do, uh, let me just give uh, one example. Uh, uh, in Precatory Prayers, uh, I solicited people to send in their personal uh, imprecatory prayers, uh, and these are Christian identity folks. And uh, I'd like to read just one of them here. I've got several, but uh, I see that time is ticking. Uh, this is from Ken in Ohio. He said, Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we humbly come before your holy throne of grace. We are so thankful that you have provided us with a holy advocate and intercessor through our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. We have sinned against you and have been a rebellious and stiff-necked people. Forgive us, Father, for our many sins and transgressions, for failing to walk after your ways, and will, and especially, Lord, for us, failing to obey your laws, statutes, and commandments. Have mercy on us, Father. We are aware that you are currently judging us in America for our sins against you. Our foremost prayer is that you would forgive us and place us back on the path of holiness and righteousness with you. Thank you for your mercy. We ask now that you would judge the liars and ungodly people who control the mainstream news media. Expose and bring their sins against you in the light of your word. Make your wrath known unto them and especially to the rest of the world. In addition, we ask that you judge all of those ungodly elements that are harming and committing acts of pedophilia against our innocent children. We ask that you begin from the top down and judge those corrupt leaders from Washington, D.C. down to our local communities. We ask that your name would be magnified in the earth, that your truth and justice will prevail. We humbly thank and praise you, the only true God. We ask all these things in the name of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me talk okay, about this. Let, let, let me uh, talk about this United Nations fake news resolution real quick. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's in the resolution stages yet, but let, let me just say that in um be, because you wanted me to discuss this, and, and I, I have a couple of conclusions. In, in on December fifteenth of twenty sixteen, the Syrian ambassadors to the United Nations started complaining about fake news from the mainstream agencies, news agencies in the United States, which were being used to turn public opinion against Syria and, and foment the war, right? I mean, this is... The, the, the first... The, the United Nations was handling fake news in 1967, right? So this is nothing new. Syria was bringing fake news allegations to the United Nations in December. And in... um. In November of 2016, Moscow, the Russians were accused of propagating fake news in a European Union res resolution on Russian propaganda. So this is basically that these fake news allegations are being thrown back and forth between the Russians and the United States over Syria, over North Korea, over the election, and it's all just politics, right? And in... um. April 5th, 2017, 
the Russians rejected a proposed United States resolution on chemical weapons attack in Syria as unacceptable because it was based on fake information. So, first Russia's accused of propagating fake news, and, and then Russia's accusing the U.S. and the EU of propagating fake news. It, it's all politics in the United Nations, which is going back and forth, right? Just last week, Russia, M- Moscow rejected fake news reports on, on Russia blocking the condemnation of a North Korea missile test. Right? I I mean, it's just politics bouncing back and forth. And right now, it it seems to be at at the point of um, a a certain United Nations Committee department, which is, and and I have a headline here from from the United Nations website itself, and this is April 25th of 2017, and it says, Department must continue to disseminate factual, impartial information. The delegates stress as Committee on Information continues 2017 session. Acting Global Communications Chief echoes delegates' concerns over fake news. But it's really just that the um, global diplomats are using the whole fake news paradigm to attack one another and it's the EU against Russia and Russia against the US and Syria and the UN and and it's just a big dog and pony show ultimately it it could turn out bad for independent publishers independent publishers are going to get screwed i mean websites like ours and 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 i'm not all, all these fake news websites we have to learn to identify them but we can't rail against their uh, their um, right to free speech because then we, we invite restricting our own. And, and that's the way it always works. The mainstream media is going to, in the end, win the battle. And independent publishers, fake or not, are going to end up on the short end of the stick if this gets to the resolution level in the United Nations. But because of the politics involved... It won't pass because it's Russia against the U.S. and the EU against Russia and Syria against the U.S. and, and Russia has veto power. So, so I don't think you'll see an actual U.N. resolution on fake news pass in the current political climate. And, and that doesn't really affect American law anyway unless the American Congress uses it as an excuse to make further tyrannical regulatory laws. And, and that's just the way it is. That, that's my opinion on the United Nations and fake news resolutions. Well, very good, Bill. It reminds me of a, a Psalms or a proverb that says the uh, wicked cannot sleep until they perform some mischief. <laughs> oh, that, that's absolutely true, but... We, we, we have the fortunate situation of Satan's house being divided against itself. And it always is, so... Hello? Hello, Pastor Ramsey. Hey. Sorry we're late on the call. Um, it's it's right. great to have you on the program tonight. Well, it's good to be here. I um, I think some people might not be familiar with who you are, uh, just as we had a conversation 
that you were you had heard of Bill Fink, but yes. uh, uh-huh. didn't know that much about him. So uh-huh. tonight you're you're both on the same program, and it's good to have you both. Okay, well, it's good to be here. Hello, Everett. Some hey, how are you, Bill? Not, some people might not know your background, so I'd like to just give a brief biographical sketch. The first okay. I heard of you was um, you know, a little church in Nebraska, and you had a, um, a school there, and right. the state uh, insisted that you have a license to operate, right. which you refused to do. Yes. And to make a long story short, they sent you to prison. Yeah, and, they sent me uh, to the county jail anyway. <laughs> and uh, you wrote a book about it. It was called America's First Padlock Church. Right. Uh, years later, uh, and this is what uh, we base our campaign on, is you initiated what you call the Divine Court of Justice. And that was very effective for the time right. that you... Uh, Operated uh, and traveled throughout the country to different courthouses where our people were in trouble and and they needed divine intervention. Um, yes. So tonight I'd like to uh, ask you a little about uh, the Court of Divine Justice and could you explain to our listeners um, what you think the biblical concept of the Divine Court of Justice is? Well. The uh, we call it the court of divine justice because in the New Testament, uh, the Lord uh, Paul in Paul's writings, he uh, gave his uh, people the understanding that they were able to judge uh, among themselves and uh, should not be going to the court of the land, uh, especially if it's wicked court. And also in the Old Testament, uh, we had people like David and others who used imprecatory prayers to uh, invoke the power of God in the areas where we don't have the strength or we don't have the ability to uh, obtain justice. And, of course, in our case, uh, even though uh, we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that our children were being educated even better than in the state schools, the state insisted on throwing me and our, my elders in uh, jail uh, for periods of time up to six months and uh, trying to close the school. So we, we had to come to uh, an understanding of what are we going to do. Well, Brother McCurry, Dr. Robert McCurry and Dr. Greg Dixon were two men who were assisting me at that time along with thousands of other pastors. But these two men, and especially Dr. McCurry, was uh, the one who introduced me to the imprecatory prayers of the Old Testament. So on one occasion toward the end of our case, I didn't know it was at the end of the case because I had just been released from jail, I read an imprecatory prayer to the media, and uh, they printed it. It went all over the United States uh, on uh, the front page of what's what's called then the Parade Magazine, and uh, I basically uh, called upon God to intervene and to remove those officials who were standing in the way of justice being rendered in the state of Nebraska. Um, out of that, the attorney general was uh, found to be a homosexual. He was found to be fraudulent uh, in, in his activities with one of the savings and loans. 
and he was not only kicked out of office but stripped of his attorney's uh, license. Uh, we also had uh, the uh, teacher's union uh, leader was uh, uh, brought to his knees uh, by the governor of the state. So there were some activities that went on that uh, soon after that prayer, the uh, whole issue was settled. And we won our case, and we were able to proceed, and Nebraska was freed uh, for our Christian schools. It was shortly after that that Dr. McCurry uh, met with me, and we sat down in a Burger King and talked for about two hours about uh, other cases around the country and how we could implement uh, God's uh, uh, power in this uh, kind of an activity. And we asked uh, Dr. Dixon to join us, and the first case that was uh, heard was in the in Indiana at the time. There was a <clears throat> small church. A man who pastored the church was taken to court and ordered to supply to the county uh, treasurer and county assessor all of the books, uh, financial books of the church, and he uh, refused, uh, saying that it was outside the jurisdiction of the court, that, that churches uh, that are not incorporated and not a 501c3 are not subject to the laws of uh, the state, and et cetera, for this kind of activity. Uh, the judge threw him in jail on contempt of court and said he would stay there till he produced the books, and he said, well, we're not going to produce the books because we don't have any books. Now, I don't know what that exactly meant. I didn't question him. Uh, but Dr. Dixon uh, asked us to meet at the courthouse on a given day. We notified the press. Uh, they drew, he drew up uh, the papers of the ch uh, church, uh, which said uh, the uh, in the court of divine justice, and it was uh, God's people and the church and the name of the pastor against uh, the wicked officials. And uh, we met on the courthouse. Uh, we uh, explained and read the papers, and the people voted and found them guilty. And we put our hands on the courthouse and uh, knelt on the on the steps and asked God to intervene. Uh, we said by whatever means. Uh, and in that particular case, we don't really know what happened. All we know is that a few days later, the sheriff came in and told him to get his stuff and get out. He was free to go, and he uh, tried to get a little information, and the sheriff said, uh, don't ask any questions, just get your stuff and leave. And he did, and that's been many years ago, and we still don't know exactly why or what happened. We just know that God intervened and things changed. Right. And there were many others that followed after that. Uh, but that's the concept of uh, the Court of Divine Justice. In my opinion, uh, the Court of Divine Justice was used for several years, and then we sort of withdrew because so many people didn't understand that it was not a personal thing. It was not something you could use as a magical tool against your enemies. Uh, we had all kinds of people calling us and saying, we need a court of divine justice against my wife. She's um, she's <laughs> mistreating me, or I need a court of divine justice against my husband. He beats me, or we need a court of divine justice against the tax collector down here because they're taking me to court and all of this kind of thing. And uh, yeah. a lot of people misused it. It's, uh, the bottom line is... Uh, 
uh, is God's work being hindered by someone or something that is beyond our control? If so, then we have a right to go to God uh, for a court of divine justice asking for his intervention. That's basically the bottom line. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you were sent to Marion Prison in Illinois, which is one of the yes. worst prisons in the United States. Right. Yeah, and they did they did that for a reason, uh, sure, to set you as an example. Right. You know, most yeah. most people should be in awe of such a, a miraculous uh, turn of events for people that are in need of divine intervention. But, you know, most uh, nominal Christians have never heard of imprecatory prayer, but it's actually, and I'm sure you're well aware, that it's based on... Uh, Psalms 35, 58, and 109. Yes. And I think if some of our nominal Christians were to read that, they'd be in shock. (laughs) Well, uh, I have read it in churches and had people come up to me afterwards and say, uh, well, uh, that's not the God we serve now. We serve Jesus Christ. Well, that's an actual denial of the deity of uh, Christ if you do that. Right. Uh, most people don't even know what they're saying when they object to that kind of uh, thing. But uh, God uh, God never did say he loved everybody, but yet preachers say it all the time. And especially, and I, I hate to pick on some of the Pentecostal and, and uh, charismatic churches, but they really emphasize... Uh, they try to emphasize the love of God over the justice of God, and I think yes. that's a big mistake. Jesus hates. It's especially irritating when they call themselves a New Testament church when Christ said, I come right. not to destroy the law or prophets. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, that's the whole problem today. I would say that the church is, as a whole, uh, or maybe 90 or 95 percent of them are just totally... Uh, they preach a different gospel. Uh, I I think it's I think it's significant that Jesus Christ never did use the term the gospel of salvation or the ga- gospel of personal salvation or the right. gospel of eternal salvation. It was always the gospel of the kingdom. And right. uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, went to Baptist seminaries, and I never ever was told that truth. And it was only through my own studies, even out of after I got out of Bible college and seminary, that I came to the conclusion we've been preaching the wrong gospel. Well, uh, could you give us some elderly wisdom as to how you uh, think the court of divine justice should function in the future? Well, I think the court of divine justice is always should always function similarly uh, in that uh, you look at the powers uh, that are interfering with the with the church and with the people of God as a whole. Uh, I know that uh, lately you've been uh, promoting a, a, a court of divine justice and imprecatory prayers uh, that the media might stop covering up about uh, all of the uh, children uh, children sex trade and all of that in the world. And uh, you and I talked the other night. uh, They've arrested several people in the United Nations who've been doing this now for years uh, internationally. And in Washington, D.C., and New York, uh, we're flooded. We're we're overrun with 
people involved in the in the, that program, and yet the media does little to tell our people. So the the I think you're you were saying that you felt like God's people were being run over because the press was not telling us the truth, and I think you're right on that to a certain degree. Uh, the problem, the biggest problem that I find in all of what's going on is that our preachers are not teaching our people to stand up for anything. They, they're not asking them to obey the laws of God. They're not telling them to teach their children in Christian schools. They're not telling them to get out of the public schools. They're not telling them to stand up for uh, as the people of God at all. They're telling, not telling them to stay uh, separated from the rest of the world. Uh, over and over again. Well, until you get a pastor and a church that will stand on the truth and then get attacked, it is at that point, I think, that the court of divine justice becomes uh, most beneficial. I'm not saying it's not beneficial in other cases. There probably are many other cases where it is. But at least in my experience, if you have a head-on collision between as we did in Nebraska, between the state and the church. And the state was trying to tell the church what it could call ministry, what it could call truth, what it could call uh, education, and it was totally different from what God had commanded. Then you have a head-on collision that if you run the court system and you get no justice, then you have no other alternative but to go to the highest court, and that is to God himself. Yeah, you might have been targeted as an experimental uh, case at the time, uh, which was just in first gear, but, but now they're going into overdrive. Yeah, the, uh, the, the case that we were in, and because of our victory, it slowed them down for a long time. But uh, with, the, with the Clinton era and the Bush era and the, the Obama era, uh, those last uh, 20 years or so, 30 years, have just been uh, totally uh, turned around, and, and mainly because our pastors fail to, to tell uh, the truth. They fail to educate the people. And, uh, I mean, I, I remember I went to the First Baptist Church on a Sunday morning here in Houston, Missouri, uh, several years ago when Obama was running for his first presidency. And the pastor and I had had coffee together, and he was he knew that Obama was a Muslim. He knew that he was not going to stand for Christianity, and yet he didn't have the guts to get up in his pulpit and tell his people because it was going to create such a, a fury because he had too many Democrats, because he had too many people that uh, wouldn't take a stand. And I was there the Sunday morning before the election, and he said, well, we, we need to come and pray about how we should vote. But he wouldn't tell them how to vote. He just said, you got to come and pray. Well, nobody changed their mind. <laughs> it, was, it was a waste. It was a, a, an effort in futility. Yeah. It did nothing. Well, I think the gravity of the situation, which has um, motivated so many of us in the Christian identity community, is that our children are imperiled uh, right now by such a, a rampant uh, criminal exploitation of kidnapping and, and raping and satanic ritual. It's, it's beyond most people's comprehension. Uh, and it's time 
that uh, people uh, take a stand. Well, I agree with you. And Mola, uh, it's the worship of Moloch. Uh, but instead of Israelites being volunteering their children, they're having their children stolen and taken away from them, which is a totally different thing. So I agree yes. with you. But I'm also I also am worried and concerned about uh, uh, the message that uh, Hosea gave, and that was if the people of God would not obey the laws of God, he would not have any concern for their children. And I think that's part of the problem is that we've got too many that don't uh, obey the Lord. Now, if they're taking children of uh, Christian identity people, people who are trying to live uh, by the truth, then I think we have a strong case. I think we have an ab- we have a strong place to go. Um, I'm not in a position to know what to do. I don't know anybody at this point in our, in our uh, groups around the country that have come forward and said, they've taken my child. I don't know anybody like that. If I did, I probably would be the first one to stand up and say, then we have a right to go to God for intervention. Well, well, if I may intervene, this is also part of the punishments on a nation outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but shall not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. Right. Yeah. I I agree with you. Uh, You know, and I think this is one of the problems we have. But again, uh, I think God uh, looks. I think it's uh, very significant that God has protected those of us in uh, the movement that uh, know the truth and try to live by the truth. Yes. The fact that I've not uh, that I've not heard of one single parent in in this uh, kingdom identity uh, area uh, that have had their child taken to me tells me that uh, God has put His hand of protection on us at least to some degree. Uh, but if I did hear of somebody, uh, I would be the first to volunteer to go do something about it. Well, Pastor Ramsey, uh, appreciate your joining us in the discussion tonight. And I have to say that uh, you're considered by many of us uh, an elder statesman in the Christian identity community and a good role model uh, for what it takes to uh, stand your ground, which you have done all your life. So well, we're going to call. I'm humbled, I'm humbled that you would say that, uh, but I consider all of you out there as, as equals with me because uh, a lot of you are taking stands that I didn't get to take, and I I'm somewhat jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us tonight. Uh, all right. We're going to be talking next with uh, Pastor Don Elmore. So all right. Good God bless you, you. sir. Praise okay. Bye bye. This shouldn't be as difficult. Evidently, it didn't like it that I wanted to add somebody to call that wasn't already in my contacts. Uh. Hello? Pastor Elmore, how are you doing? All right. Welcome Hi, to, Don. Well, how are you doing, Mark? Welcome to our program. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for coming on tonight. And um, uh, you've been uh, introduced on this uh, program before, so most people know that you've been in Christian identity for about as long as I have, back going way back into the 70s, which I guess makes us old-timers. <laughs> right. Um, yes. You know, you were on the ground level when... Um, 
all of this stuff evolved. And in fact, you were part of the uh, the process that formulated what we were going to do uh, by simply saying you wish that uh, Pastor Ramsey would start that divine court of justice again. Absolutely. And, and let me let me say this before we begin here. I would yeah. like to thank Bill for the opportunity to have this broadcast and for his absolutely wonderful website that he has. And I want to thank you too, Mark, for personally and publicly for what you have done. It takes a lot of work, and you have done this. You took it upon your shoulders and have done a very good job. I also want to thank Pastor Ramsey for all his work in the past and the present. I love hearing him talk about all the great work that he has done. And for Gary Blazo for his work in the present, I I greatly appreciate their help. So, so go ahead. I just well, want to get that out. It's It's been a, a labor of love. You wouldn't be in this unless you loved it. And that we uh, we all in the Christian identity community love our the God of Israel. Yes. And... Uh, that that has to make us responsible. You can't love something without um, uh, being responsible. Right. So I'd like to ask you a few questions. Um, uh, what do you think of uh, what's happened in the last uh, 38 days or so in our imprecatory campaign? Well, I, I think we're basically in the same situation that Germany was in, during the Weimar Republic. Uh, Germany did a lot of good things against the Jews, but they lost. And they have suffered very much at their hands ever since. Most do not know that the international Jew declared war against Germany in the year 1933. Uh, they boycotted Germany's goods. But we now have Jewish advisors that surround the president, and we have Jews in Congress and the Supreme Court. They control the press, TV, radio, and other means of communication, the seminaries, public school, edu- public education system, uh, museums, and everything else. Um, the press covered up 9-11. I mean, a third building, a 47-story building, fell down in six and a half seconds. It was not hit by an airplane, so it's, it had to come down. Uh, by uh, demolition. And the Sandy Hook hoax, they had Noah Posner, who was killed in Sandy Hook. He is also was killed in a Pakistani elementary school. My question is... They've been getting pretty can... sloppy in their conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, what else can we do? We can't take up arms and go fight against a mighty power. Uh, I, I think this, this, this exactly what we need to do is, is the imprecatory prayer. Well, what do you say to the naysayers who think our prayers were not answered by God, but it would have happened anyway without our prayers? Well, I can't say anything to them if it was a result of prayers or not, but let me ask a question. When Judah was surrounded by the mightiest army of the world, that was the Assyrians, the Assyrians insulted God by letters and by uh, shouting. I believe we're in a similar situation. And I'll just read three verses from Second Chronicles. It says, And they spake 
against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of men. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried unto heaven. And the angels, and the Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains of the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame on his face to his own land. And there he was, he was killed there in his own, in the house of his God. That's the situation we're in. We, uh, they are insulting our God. Uh, they're making fun of him. And for this cause, uh, that's why we're doing a precatory prayer. That's that's what I believe. Well, I know at our own church, the Fellowship of God's Covenant People, um, you put great emphasis on prayer. Uh, it's just as important as everything else we do in a worship service. Yes. Uh, do you think Christian identity uh, should become more of a praying movement, or at least make it more predominant? Yeah, I think we need to, we need to make it uh, an offensive weapon. You know, Pastor Ramsey indicated the great success that they achieved in using a precatory prayer. Uh, we should use it in cases of unjust situations that come up in our present judge system, as well as the false press coverage that covers up the evil behavior and lies. Uh, to keep it short, it should be used as one of our most important weapons. I'm looking forward to using this as a more predominant movement and it's not just for imprecatories it's for healing and uh, other yeah. needs of our people absolutely and there's uh, well, well I, I, I think they're trying to kill us off and they're they're they have um, they got poison in the water and the food and everything else they're making us sick and, well, that's certainly true if we're to believe the Georgia Guidestones. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. Which, which leads me to my next question. Uh, if people are uh, familiar with your your uh, work, uh, you've been preaching about the Freemasons and the occult and secret societies for years. Uh, could you speculate on what's the next move of these wicked adversaries, the enemy of Israel? Are they panicked that, that their doom is near or they're so arrogant that they think they can just work their evil ways with impunity well when i was in the uh, judeo-christian church i didn't know that um, the canaanites the canaanites the jews were the enemies of jesus the christ and his followers i did not know that they are the ones that have been guilty of attempting to destroy Christianity and Western civilization. I believe that they will continue to report falsely in the news to the very end. I don't think they're going to stop at all. They're doing what they have to do. Jesus calls, called them, Jesus Christ called them liars, and they are liars. The only thing that's going to destroy them would be the truth. Amen. I expect, I expect more of it to come. Absolutely. Bill, did you have anything? Well, well, in precatory prayer, all of my thoughts, as I've said in the past, I consider to be my prayers. 
and, and Christians have to stay focused on the kingdom of God. We're, we're so easily distracted by the things of the world. We're pulled off to entertainments and, and uh, all sorts of things that we shouldn't be engaged in, um, watching movies and, and things like that. But we can't pray against the world when we're engaging with the world. Yeah, you know, it's, it's coming out of Babylon... It is a difficult concept to explain, but it starts in our personal lives and, and in, in what we fill our minds with. And, and at every, I, I like to think that at least most of my waking moments are imprecatory prayers against our enemies and, and praying for the coming of the kingdom or, or doing things that I, I, I like to think are a little help towards that goal. And and that's how we should all engage our lives. If we did, well, we'd be um, much more cohesive as a movement. Correct. Jesus Christ, when he was alive here on the earth, uh, he, he was uh, attacked by these people. These people plotted his murder and... Um, that's why he had to live up in Galilee instead of in Judea. Uh, he he did not go there because he knew that the Jews were going to attempt to kill him. So I believe what you said is very true. The organized imprecatory prayer is still a good idea. I believe it is, even if it's only used as a vehicle to raise awakening and to get people to think uh, about our same objectives. And and if we get people on the same page with our objectives, that then we should see our prayers answered when two or three of us agree in his name. Correct. Correct. Don, I really appreciate you joining with us tonight. And uh, uh, your your wisdom is always taken to heart. Um, so we're going to go to Gary Blazo next. Uh, right. God bless you, and we'll see you at church tomorrow. God bless. God bless. Thank you. It's been a joy. Bye. I'm calling Gary Blazo. 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 Okay. I get that right. Here we go. I apologize for the delays. It, it's my ineptitude with this, the, this Skype. It's, it, its behavior is quite Hello. different. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Good, Smart how are County. you? Yep, Sorry we're running a little voice. late tonight. That's okay. I was following you on uh, live, so I, I knew what was going on. This is uh, a big night for me. I've never been on talk radio before, so this is uh first. <laughs> Well, I, I talked to you for the first time on the phone last night, and uh, I told you you'll be amongst friends, and it's once you start talking, it's a piece of cake, right? Yep. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I think you were instrumental in informing uh, this idea of um, imprecatory prayers and fasting, and... Uh, it was a number of elements and different people that um, got me going to formulate uh, the project. And um, the first one was, as I mentioned, uh, Pastor Don Elmore, who just simply said at church one day, he expressed a hope for the renewal of the Court of Divine Justice 
uh, formed by Pastor Everett Ramsey in the late 80s. And then the second witness was Bill, uh, who posted on the Christogenia Forum, and he said, I hope to initiate a discussion on fake news and perhaps learn how to take advantage of a situation. And the third witness was my wife, suggesting to me that one of our prayer leaders at church should lead us in a precatory against the media. But you were really the clincher and prime motivation for merging the uh, prior witnesses uh, in your email to me uh, and encapsulated the uh, spiritual yearning that many, many people feel the same way. And um, I can tell our listeners just talking to you for the first time that um, – you're you're just salt of the earth, rank and file Christian identity, and uh, uh, I think God has blessed all of us with um, um, uh, spiritual insights and, and whatnot, and and we're to you know compare the spiritual with the spiritual and and share our ideas with each other uh, so that the the building the temple of God is fitly formed together. So. Um, you, uh, in particular, uh, started uh, your prayer and fasting uh, before March 23rd. And um, uh, from our observations, apparently there was uh, results before March 23rd, uh, predominantly the death of um, uh, Rockefeller. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, but you did email me, so, uh, yeah, I was aware of that, and, uh, I was also aware that, um, of the, uh, David Brock, uh, heart attack. You, I think you emailed me on that or something, I can't remember, but I was aware of that also. Well, you wanted to know, uh, in our conversation last night, uh, what we could talk about, and I think it's appropriate tonight, because we've touched on it somewhat by both guests, um, as to uh, where do we go from here? And you posed that question to me in your email. So uh, I know you've had time to think about it. Uh, Would you like to share your thoughts? Yeah, I I have three points here, and uh, yeah, I'd like to share them. Uh, And I'm glad, I think uh, that's an appropriate question for where I'm at right now because I have put some you know I have been thinking about it a lot uh first thing I'd like to say is that uh, uh you know our our movement tends to be uh fragmented and and splintered and I you know I'm pretty much uh by myself with respect to the to the movement I don't really uh, know anybody else personally uh hardly i i wouldn't say nobody but but only uh you know a few distant people and uh the prayer part of it the thing i learned about it is how much better the focus is because if you're just out there like praying by yourself you're kind of on something this big for example you're kind of wondering, well, gee, I wonder if uh, anybody else is even thinking the same way or doing it, or does it, you know, you you have doubts, does does my prayer matter, is something, you know. Right. And when you're part of a unified effort, uh, it just really keeps you connected and it keeps you in a good focus. So that's, uh, you, you don't, 
probably fight that problem as bad if you're part of a local church, I guess. So that's kind of my first point. We are truly blessed. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'll go on to the to the second point. Um, I guess the first thing I'd like to say is um, I, in some form, uh, I'd like to see this these uh, same requests that we've, uh, you know, the, uh, dealing with the media and so forth. I'd like to see this uh, continued. You know, I don't, you know. Um, I know the 40 days will be up in, a, in, I guess, two more days or something by Monday, uh, because Monday's, I guess, May 1st. Yes. And uh, I just, you know, I, th- I, I, I kind of been thinking about it as just like a, it's, it's like a sporting event or, or playing a, a game. If you, you know, you don't, you don't quit till, till the, you know, till the final buzzer, so to speak. And, yeah. uh, and you just, you just got to keep on Cause they're not stopping. And I, um, right. I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of do keep up on things, uh, as best I can. I, I, I guess I spend more time keeping up than the average person, uh, just cause of my situation right now. But, uh, to summarize it, you know, the, uh, the progressives, the other side, they're, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to normalize all this stuff. See, they're, they're just going the other direction. They hate everything that we stand for. They hate any kind of traditional values. They hate all that stuff. And so they're, um, they're, they're trying to, to normalize this. And I noticed, I mean, uh, uh, you touched on this earlier a little bit about Jeffrey Epstein, for example. Uh, he, I think he was convicted, and then he got a pretty light sentence or something, if I'm correct on that, if my memory is, is right. And then there was, uh, <clears throat> I, I believe I, I heard, uh, I believe from a credible source, uh, there's a Laura, Laura Silsby, I think, that... Um, was also convicted in Haiti, and that uh, she got a reduced sentence. And so, uh, when you look at this, and you look at the kind of uh, propaganda they're putting out, it's like, yeah, we're not going to punish this all that much because in a few years it'll all, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be okay anyway. That's the that's the impression that I get from it. So that was my second thought. And the uh, the third thought I had is, uh, um, and again, this goes back to many of us just being out there by ourselves and so forth. And I, I kind of don't, you know, none of us knows what's in front of us. We we don't know much about that right now. Um, but uh, this is not really part of imprecatory prayer. But I think it. I'd like to see it part of a concerted effort. And so we really need to. You know, pray for our own safety. Pray for the the safety of our people. Pray for the safety of um, of our people around the world. You know, maybe things will happen to them first. Like I believe that you had a a request a while back. Uh, pray for the people of South Africa, if my memory is right. Seems uh, I think that you had that on one of your sermons or something. And, uh, you know, if, if there was a way to just have these national-type requests, 
uh, in a you know somewhere, and it you know it, it might be you know obviously this type of thing is going to be a little bit dynamic, so you're going to be changing them from time to time. But you know we've already the the good news is we've already you, you've already made a lot of contacts. I assume, uh, and it sounds like some people that you didn't expect have gotten back to you. And and so you know we want you know you want to keep the connection keep in some form. And I guess one last thing that I uh, that I did heard uh, I was listening to something that just uh, happened to be a few hours before this broadcast started, and uh, it seemed to me that there is. I, I don't really. I guess I don't really want to give the details uh, of it right now. But there was. I'll just say it in a very general term that I just. It, it, it appears that there might be something that would be coming sometime this year that would be very encouraging. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I just. I haven't looked into it enough to want to go public with this type of thing. So. Um, but I don't know what, if it means anything or if it doesn't. So. Well, but, I'm encouraged also. Yeah, I sent you a link. I sent you a link to it. You probably haven't got to it yet. Uh, I sent it only just late, late this afternoon or early this evening. I don't remember which. And it, it's so it's something you you probably can. Yeah, I saw it. I just that. haven't had time uh, preparing. Yeah, no, I. Now, no, of course. And now that's I, feel what like I, would the, assume. So I feel like the So those kid, are my thoughts anyway going forward, but um I'm sorry. Gary, I really appreciate um uh you being a, a major impetus in in um our our efforts here and um hopefully we can uh, work together in the future. Well, I thank you for that, and uh, I hope so, too. I think basically I probably just put into words what millions, thousands of people were thinking. That's probably what it boils down to. I feel okay, like the Gary, kid that's not in on a secret. And we'll see you on down the line. Okay, thanks a lot, and Bye-bye. Uh, have a good evening. Okay. Is my mic working? Mic working. Is my mic working? Yes. <laughs> I tried to get a word in. I couldn't get a word in. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I um I noticed Gary's in the southern tier counties in upstate New York. That's where I used to live. Until we moved south in twenty twelve. I I don't know yet you know, I ignored that pedophile case in Haiti because I really don't count it as pedophilia. It was in Haiti. Right. It, it was um, it was United Nations so-called peacekeepers in Haiti running a child sex ring, and there's over 2,000 cases of sexual abuse reported. But to me, it's not pedophilia; it's zoophilia. That that's why I <laughs> left it off my list, right? Well, <laughs> I just uh, thought I'd throw that uh, in. The Clinton <laughs> Foundation uh, uh, reaped millions of dollars out of that thing. I think that's the uh, important uh, link uh, to what happened there. Uh, the Clintons are such uh, uh, anti-racist uh, integrationists that here they are exploiting black children in Haiti right. uh, uh, through phony, fake 
orphanages and, and whatnot through the Clinton Foundation and raking in millions of dollars. What hypocrites. Well, well those accusations started to come out in, in the end of the election cycle, and Hillary was going to jail, and all the Hillary for prison bumper stickers were all over the place, until Donald Trump declared that she was a good woman and that he wasn't going to pursue any charges. That that was step one in not draining the swamp. So so that's the I think that was probably the first campaign promise that Trump broke. But I expected him to break at least most of them anyway. I mean, campaign promises are never kept in this country. Are you still with me? No, it looks like Pastor Downey dropped. We'll try this again. That time I swear I did not hang up on him. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? I, I said that um, Hillary Clinton, that these accusations about Haiti and improprieties with the Clinton Foundation were being released at the end of the um, election cycle, and, and Hillary was going to prison and until, Trump, what was, uh, until Trump won the election. And that's one of the first promises he recanted on. He started declaring that Hillary was a good woman and Hillary and Bill were good people. And, and yes. that was the first step in not draining the swamp. That that was the um, probably the first of the, the major promises that he broke was not to investigate Hillary Clinton. So, so that's, I mean, Trump's entire pattern has been to break his campaign promises that these people like to point to all his accomplishments these first hundred days, which are nothing compared to the promises, the campaign promises themselves, which will never be kept. I, I even don't think the wall's ever going to be built. I don't think any of it's going to happen, to be honest. Well, like I said earlier, I'm convinced now that Donald Trump is a... Uh a crypto Jew, and uh, I pray that uh, he'll be outed as uh, uh, an out-and-out Jew. Well, well, I've been trying to take advantage of the situation um, to our benefit. When I say our, I mean the benefit of Christian identity, not really to Trump, not really to pump myself up. But but I published and I've been publishing this on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, I made this little um, article of some of my own quotes, and and I said on March fourth, twenty sixteen, that I hope Trump wins, if only to show white nationalists how stupid they are for having hope in such a man, or for having any hope in man at all. And I said on March 12th of 2016, and these are in podcasts, that, that Donald Trump might be good comedy, but that's all he is. And, and in the end, if Trump does win, he will leave white nationalists looking either stupid or hopeless. And which one it is, I can't tell yet. But that would also serve our God, because without him, without God, we are stupid and hopeless. And that's how white nationalists are being left after this great Trump betrayal of these last several weeks, I said in October 12th of 2016 that Donald Trump exists only to make white nationalists look stupid, and I qualified the remark, he will make them look stupid if they place their hope for the future of white America in him, and they will deserve their fate. He, he's no friend of whites, as his record and the lives of his children prove doubly and triply. 
it, it's um, it's coming to fruition now. The swamp is not going to be drained. I made a meme that Donald Trump wouldn't Trump wouldn't make the drain the swamp last November. So <laughs> he's put the the swamp in his administration. I, I'm not right. Exactly. He put the swamp in office. Right. I, I'm not trying to vaunt myself, but I made all these quotes to show that. Secular white nationalism has no answers. Only um, Christian identity, the, the racial Christian identity, which which we understand, that's the only answer because the only answer is in our God, and and separating ourselves from the swamp. So that that's what we should be endeavoring to do. The, the fake news. I, I pray that we can continue to. Um, take advantage of the situation and just to convince people that the world is constantly lying to them. That all of these televisions and all of these newspapers, all they have for us is lies and, and manipulation. So that, that's one way to, I believe it's a good way to get people to think that there must be another answer that's not found in the media, in politics, in the artificial left-right paradigm, that the artificial political struggles, that there's no answer in any of that. We should forsake it all. Well, and, you shouldn't be too hard on yourself, Bill, because you do good work. And in fact, uh, the Christian identity community is really a public service for merely uh, carrying the good news to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And well, so uh, <clears throat> that's really what our program is, is conveying tonight. And uh, I know we probably don't have much time left, but I want to say that um, there's all kinds of results and judgments and answers to uh, this prayer campaign. And uh, anybody can find them on the Christogenia forum. Uh, just look for the, Christian Identity Directions Forum, and you'll find it there. <clears throat> well, well, right. If I could have got a chance to talk to Gary Blazo, I would have tried to convince him to join the forum. He, he said he feels isolated. A, a lot well, of the I've services, mentioned that to him. A, a lot of the services I offer at Christogenia are, are to help people that do feel isolated because most of us are isolated, right? That's why yeah. I have a chat server and a chat room for the programs and a forum. That, that's why I have all that because I, I know that people are isolated and, and we need a sense of community. We need that. Yes. And, and we don't have it in, in our own worldly communities, most of us. We're, we're isolated. It's incredible how many emails I get from people wanting to know where can I go for fellowship. And uh, they all need a church, right? They want a church, but there's or no just, uh, to meet and talk with fellow believers, right? But there are no like-minded believers within fifty miles of most of us. Well, I think God has spread us out for a reason, and that's so that the enemy can't trounce on us all in one place well right if they were if we were all in upstate new york they'd bomb it or, or in the tennessee mountains they'd bomb it that that's why the northwest initiative is a failure if we were all in montana they'd bomb it <laughs> well i was involved in that and it just never panned out right and we worked on it hard 
Right, it's not supposed to be. It, it's up to Christ to gather his people. It's not going to happen until then. And the problem isn't just in the, in the United States. It's our friends in Australia and South Africa, England, everywhere. Right. Uh, white people reside. Right. And uh, I'd like to close uh, just by something our brother Joe from the Christogenia Forum, also from Australia, he made this poignant observation. Uh, quote, I didn't understand the reason for Mark's targeting the media when I first saw this. But then I realized that this is the front lines, brothers, in the war for truth. And the lies these people tell filter down and are in the mouths of some of our closest enemies, right. the strength of our enemy, end quote. And then another forum member, Teutonic, replied, lies are the weapon of their choice, the media, the vehicle of choice the prince of the power of the air. You know, this whole thing about the media, I've suspected for a long time that the power of the air is now in the hands of the mainstream media. That is TV that goes through the airwaves, smartphones, right. satellite communications. Right. I believe I made that analogy when I discussed that particular portion of Paul's epistles. I... I um. I made it half seriously, but it surely fits. It, it definitely fits, without a doubt. Well, this is a spiritual campaign. And um, moving air is the root meaning of, of uh, spirit. The, the word Greek word pneuma begins with a P. Yes, there are definitely many correlations. Absolutely. Pneumatic drills and, and other things that use that. But, you know... That's what God did. He breathed into Adam the breath of life, air. And on a, a physical level, it's life, air moving in and out of our nose. On a mental level, it's the motivations from God that animates our Christian character. But on a spiritual level, it's moving and being in agreement with the Holy Spirit. I believe it's a portion of his essence, yes. Okay. Well, it's been a real pleasure again being with you, Bill, and uh, I hope our message reaches far and wide. Well, thank you, Mark, and so do I, I pray. Praise Christ, and good night. Good night.